Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and today more than ever before, companies, brands, and their partners need to stand for something beyond the bottom line. I've created this program to provide insights and ideas to share with you so that you can apply them to your work the very next day. The goal here is to up-level your purpose and to benefit companies and society. So please join us. We have a delicious discussion today. Now that should intrigue you because with us today is Andy Farrow, Vice President of Corporate Affairs and Sustainability at Mars Inc. Being private gives them some freedom to think differently about purpose. But until some years ago, the family was very close to the vest. They didn't share a lot about what they were doing, but they had marvelous brands. I mean, brands that we all love. Snickers and Milky Way and Skittles. And if you've got animals, you've got, you know, Whiskers and Pedigree. And I love greenies for my pets. And then they've got, you know, vet clinics. And then they also have Wrigley Orbit Gum. And they also have cutting-edge new nutritional products. The Mars Edge. And by the way, I just ordered one, Coco Viva, I think it is. So Andy's going to correct me, I think, on that one. (laughs) But the family felt that the world has changed and that transparency today is demanded by our younger consumers. And I hate to call them consumers. Let's call them citizens. What's behind the company? What does it stand for? How can it have a better impact on the world? What's it doing to impact and help with the climate change in front of us? What about our nutritional needs, our health needs? And the company set out in 2017, 2018 to discover and codify its purpose. Its purpose? The world we want tomorrow is the way we do business today. Let me say it again. The world we want tomorrow is the way we do business today. And that was built upon fundamental principles that the company was operating on for decades. But then it also gave them a guide. And also they created a compass to help them make decisions so that the decisions they made today would help create the world tomorrow. Andy has been with the company for many years. He worked in their Wrigley division And in 20, I believe, 16, he gained this top job at Mars Corporate. And um, he is a recent winner of a very esteemed recognition, the Individual Achievement Award um, from Provoke, which is one of the top uh, marketing, communications, and public relations organizations. It was a Sabre Award that he won in May. He's also a member of uh, the Page Society, which is the top corporate communications leaders in the world, and he works for an amazing company. So welcome, Andy. Thank you very much. And it is, in fact, Coco Via, 
And actually, you talked about, you've talked about food and chocolate, but actually, by far, our biggest business is actually pet care. Uh, oh, you're right. Oh my God, my um, cats would like destroy yeah. me if I didn't yeah, say that. Um, we, we, and we have a, we own over two thousand veterinary hospitals around the world. So it's, uh, you and I know Van, uh, Banfield. VCA, I see yeah. that all the time, yeah. and then VCA. Yep. And and I love your approach. We're going to dive into all of this. Your approach to nutrition, not just for human beings, but you talk a lot about the humanization of how we relate to our pets. And so, and I'm thrilled because, you know, my fur babies are my babies. So we're going to, we're going to get into that. I always like to start with the numbers. So Mars was founded in 1911. Its headquarters are now in McLean, Virginia. Um, its revenues are around, it's a privately held company, but when you read some of the business press, it's around $40 billion with um, a tremendous wind at its back because of its philosophy, and we're going to get into its purpose philosophy in a moment. Um, it has over 125 associates in 80 countries around the globe. So that's a little bit by the numbers. So with that, Andy, let's just talk about your background and how have you seen the transparency of business as well as the evolution of purpose change throughout your career? My background is perhaps not is perhaps a little bit unique for the people in my position. I actually started working in politics in the UK um, when I came out of college. And I really worked in sort of the political sector for over a number of years before moving into agency. Uh, I was with Hill and Knowlton for over a decade uh, and before moving to Wrigley. Uh, and then Wrigley was acquired by Mars. And I, I worked in a couple of different places for Wrigley, both I was based in Munich, then based in Chicago, uh, before being mo- moving into my current role based in, in based in McLean, Virginia. Uh, and I think, you know, when I... When I left politics um, and moved more into into the, the private sector, I, I thought I had to make a choice between um, what I believed and what I, I felt passionately about, and what was my what was my job. And that essentially politics and a belief around a better world was what I did. I did it the weekends and weekends and evenings, uh, and and what I did during the week was what I was you know commercially valuable for where where my skills could be most used and for me the really big unlocker from coming to mars was this gradual uh, realization that the two are linked uh, and that business can and should be a fundamental force for good and great companies uh, are companies that let them let their associates really be themselves and really bring their full self to life and so I think what we're seeing with purpose increasingly is this kind of recognition that companies are far more than just a vehicle for employing people and making money. They are, they, they are actors in society and they can play both positive and negative role. And if you recognize that, then you really need to set a direction. I think, and I think that's where the good stuff of purpose comes from. And as we think about Mars ourselves is, you know, if you just truly think about it, is you, if you have purpose but your business doesn't perform, you're going to be completely ineffective. But equally, if all you do is deliver perf- performance without any purpose, it is almost meaningless. Uh, and so it's really about sort of connecting purpose and performance to really build a better business that can make a positive contribution to the world. 
So, so, and I'm glad you said that because I pulled this quote up for you and I just like to reiterate it. Performance without purpose is meaningless. And I think that's fantastic. Now, can you share the purpose of Mars? It's a very simple statement, but it's very powerful. Yeah, I mean, it's simply this. The world we want tomorrow starts with how we do business today. Uh, And it was a purpose that we really curated from the business sort of over 17 and 18 um, uh, and then launched at the beginning of 2019. Um, and it was really the, really an outside, the, uh, the articulation of what we'd long believed. There were, there's really three things that make um, Mars unique. It takes a very long-term approach. It views, in, it view, it views things in generations, not quarters. Um, it's family-owned, um, and, and the family want it to remain family-owned for the long term which gives it a huge amount of freedom, and it's very principles-driven. You know, the, the, the five principles of Mars, you'll see them everywhere inside the company. You'll see major business decisions being made, uh, made against them. And, and really, that purpose is the, the articulation of those, of those things. And this belief that each and every day, our 125,000 associates have an ability to really make a difference to the world. And it's really, it's been incredibly powerful during these COVID times. Our, our chief executive, Grant Reed, around a number of very big financial decisions that we've made, simply asked the question, how does this contribute to the world we want tomorrow? And so it's played a really powerful role in, in helping make decisions on, on, on some really tough stuff. Can you give us an example? How long do we continue to pay people for when they can't go to work? And, you know, we've continued to pay them throughout. You know, you know, you know we had to stroke incre- increase the sick leave provisions of 75,000 associates. So they didn't have to make a choice between, uh, you know, doing the right thing for their family or their health and, and, and coming to work and, uh, and losing income. Um, you know, the, the decisions that we made, the pay protection guarantee that we gave all we gave all our associates, the fact that right throughout, we said the number one priority was associate safety. And, you know, every decision was based around associate safety. You know, and when we looked to perhaps at um, some third party contractors who work with our business, trying to make sure that, that um, through their employers, they are not treated in a different way to our own associates. And what kind of feedback did you get from your employees when you took these actions? No, I mean, I think we've had we've had a very good response. Uh, you know, obviously, I think it, it, it's differed in a way. The you know we've got older parts of the business and the newer parts of the business. I think for for people who've been with Mars a long time, none of this surprises them because that's you know, that's really how how we've been. I think with people who've been with Mars for less of a time. That it does surprise me. And say something like veterinary health, where we've been in veterinary health in the mid since the mid um, 1990s, but you know we have in the past five or six years our presence has dramatically increased. And I I think you certainly saw with the vet health associates uh, an even stronger reaction because what we were doing is so different to the rest of the industry. You know, in, in this, the broader CPG of the business, we were competing against some some good and principal companies, uh, and you know they will have done some of the things that we've done as we've done as well. But in, in veterinary health, we you know it is really so different to what is the norm. And I'm curious, was Banfield um, deemed essential um, during COVID? Yeah, yes. I mean, uh, in, in vet, veterinary health, in pretty much all places, was deemed essential. Um, sometimes you had situations that sometimes banfields are situated within pet smarts. So sometimes, you know, you may have had a, a retail closure. Um, some countries that wouldn't, that deemed, um, 
it seemed some form of primary care as non-essential, but secondary care essential. So it did differ from country to country, but broadly speaking, you know, it, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was seen as essential and as indeed was, um, you know, our food man, as our food manufacturing businesses, whether they be for, for humans or for, or for pets. Let's talk about the discovery of your purpose statement. You said that um, in 2017 and 2018, you really talked about it, you touched it, you probed it, you felt it. What was the process and how many of your employees were engaged in the, the discovery and the creation? Yeah, I mean, so really what happened was sort of April April. 2017, uh, the board and the management team came together, and we were looking at the, looking at the you know what was important for the long term of the business, and and I actually I was quite surprised to see from a sort of an open ended discussion, not a non prompted discussion, what happened was there was a really strong belief that Mars needed to be differentiated on purpose to be successful in the long term, um, and that was quite a change. You've talked in the you talked earlier on about how Mars historically has been quite secretive. And so, to, so and it's oh, sorry, it have not been very high profile. And uh, so the, the idea that the board and the management team really thought that actually not only do we need to be externally focused, and we'd, we'd started being much more externally focused from probably around 2015, 2016, but actually to differentiate ourselves on what we stand for was, was quite, was quite surprised. It was for me, I was slightly surprised, delighted, but slightly surprised. Uh, and so we began the process and we'd looked at purpose before and always before it had fall, fallen down because I think for a couple of reasons. One is that we've got these incredibly powerful five principles. We've got a family that owns the company whose name is above the door and many of them have the name Mars. And so, uh, and so, you know, what the purpose of Mars is, it has to relate to actually what they feel their purpose is. It's, it's, it's quite, it's quite personal. And, and we'd also always done a very, very traditional process whereby you'd go through all these layers of research and, and you would come up with a, a, you know, a final answer, ta-ta, and, you know, do you like it, do you not like it? We did it completely differently this time. What we did was right from the start, we said, you know what? Everybody knows what makes Mars unique. It's long-term, it's family ownership, it's the five principles. So rather than trying to get to a single purpose, we started by writing five or six different purposes based on those. And then we worked with the family across three generations to really, you know, to really get what, what they felt. So really, we, we, this was at the start with led from the, from the family that we're then involving the board and the management team. We then used associates through this, through this prototyping process, process to really test things. We tested, uh, we tested statements, uh, and we did a lot through from mobile phones and, and that associate data was incredibly powerful and helpful, particularly when it came to sort of talking to say, groups of family members. When, you know, if somebody said, I like A and somebody said, I like B, I said, well, okay, you've got a good point. You know, both of them are great. However, you know, 80% of our associates really think A works for them. And that really added a degree of, a sort of degree of objectivity. And, and, you know, the family really saw that the, the, the world we want tomorrow, the idea of us actually setting a direction, being clear on what the world we want, that really chimed with them. And, and it's starting with how we do business and how we do business is the five principles. We knew that the, it's hard to differentiate yourself purely on the basis that you've got principles. It's quite hard because because most people have got principles, and for, to, for principles to differentiate you, you actually need to feel them in action. And so, if you set a destination, which is the world we want tomorrow, and, and then say that each that every day, each and every action you do 
needs to be measured to the extent that it's contributing to it, then it, then it's really a practical way of showing how the principles can can come to life. And the principles, by the way, you know, a lot of companies have like five bullets. Here they are. Yours have depth behind them. And I love the one in quality where the I think the first one, the sub bullet was the consumer is the boss. Yep. I, I thought that that was really, really important. Um, are any of the other principles, perhaps, Andy, why don't you name them? And then I I'd also like mutuality. And maybe there's some sub bullets under some of the principles that you really find come up a lot for you. So it's quality, responsibility, uh, freedom, efficiency and mutuality. Um, I think the, the trick with them is that there is a degree of tension in them. There is a tension between efficiency and quality. Um, there is a tension between freedom. And when we say freedom, that's probably the most misunderstood pr uh, principle. When we say the freedom principle is basically it says, you know, to remain free, we need not to have high debt levels. We need not to be dependent on other people. And, and in order to do that, we need to be profitable. So you, so, you know, you've, you've said the consumer is our, you know, um, uh, it's our boss. Um, if you talk about, you know, um, uh, mutuality and it's the idea that a shared benefit will endure. And so each of them have, you know, clear descriptors. There is tension between them. And the, the trick in any decision is to balance all of them. You don't just use one of them. I mean, every business decision would be incredibly easy if you said our only principle is efficiency or our only principle, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, principle is quality. So, so, so you really, you have to, you have to use them in tandem and that forces a, a dialogue and, and really pretty much any decision that we make, you, the, the five principles are, you know, are, are used as a frame and they don't give you a simple answer. And that's good actually, because if it doesn't give you a simple answer actually means you have to discuss you know, to some extent, what is the tensions and, and what are the trade-offs between them? What's the process? I mean, do you have meeting after meeting? Do you have a certain meeting format to discuss the tension? How many layers, if there are layers that you need to go through to get to a solution? I'm sure our listeners are very curious about how this works out. These are just, these are just integrated into how we do business. So, so, you know, you know, and, and we would have various, you know, approval procedures as you would expect in most companies. And, you know, you will, you know, you know, as you make a decision on sustainability or, uh, or, on a, or, or on a program or on any business decision, that the frame that, that business leaders at Mars are, have really been taught to think about it is around the five principles. And so it's, it's just, it, it's not a separate process. It's not an audit. It's actually a doctrine and approach that leaders are expected to apply throughout the um, throughout the, the whole the whole the whole business and uh, and debate discuss and debate those uh, the, the changes that you want to make and how they fit with with those principles. So let's pivot because the principles help to be the fabric, I believe, of the Mars Sustainable in a Generation Plan. Uh, and I know that, that that plan is also anchored by select SDGs, and it has three key areas because the principles are how you run your business, how you make decisions, I guess, with authenticity and truth. So share with our listeners the Sustainable in a Generation Plan, because I love its three pillars. 
so we'd been active on sustainability probably i mean you probably you could probably go back in the in the history annals and say there's lots of things that we've done we've done that, that about doing things sustainability but in reality probably the first time we really set clear global targets for that were around 2008 where where we basically said we wanted to get to be sustainable in a generation uh, and we set targets to reduce our, the greenhouse gas operate uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions from our direct operations uh, that take it down to zero by 2040 and we set a bunch of interim targets for sort of 2015 um, on a range of things from packaging weight to water use uh, you know, obviously you know uh, carbon emissions uh, and, and we that really was something we talked about internally it got very well baked into our supply chain um, and as we were sort of coming up to sort of 2015, we started to think, well, okay, we've got 2015 targets. What should they be for the longer term? And we started to do some real deep mapping. And, and what we, what we came to understand through that kind of mapping of our, of our, of our footprint was that our direct operations are a tiny part, a 6% of our operations. You know, 6% of our impact is from our direct operations. And actually, if you look at our greenhouse gas emissions, our actual total impact is equivalent to a small country, uh, a country like Panama. You know? So, and so when we when we started was when we mapped more, more deep in more detail on our greenhouse gas emissions and our, our impact on society. We 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 came down to really three key areas where we need to, to set we thought whole impact targets, and they were around healthy planet. Which was really led around uh, around climate, but it included uh, it included targets on land use and water, thriving people, which was really talking about income in the supply chain, extended supply chain, and, and human rights, and then nourishing well being. You know how how do our products, portfolio, and service how do they how do they make things better? Uh, and these and, and we set very comprehensive targets for our whole operations, including stuff that happens. You know thousands of miles from the factory walls uh you know and we set targets to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by 67 percent target to improve the lives of a a, a million people a target to actually despite the growth of our business to hold our land use flat um, or the land use associated with our business uh flat Uh, you know and and these were long-term targets we committed um a billion dollars, uh, you know, you know, a billion dollar investment over the, the next few years. We've actually already spent that now. It, it was interesting at the time. The billion dollars got the coverage. I think really much more was more bigger actually what 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 truly we were we were we were committing to. And I think we've made good progress along it. You know, we have over the last two years decoupled the growth of our business from growth in carbon emissions. Uh, and for, for those of you people that are deeply concerned about the environmental performance of, of a business, this is in some ways the holy grail. Can you can you have a more successful, bigger business while actually reducing your impact? And so we now find we're at say fifty three percent renewable energy, well on our way to to the hundred percent. We're about twenty percent through our our goal of meeting and making a difference to a million people in supply chain. So, so I think, you know, there's, there's, there's very good progress that has been, been made on it. And one of the big switches we made with it was this recognition that we needed to talk about it. And why did we talk about it? I think there were really three reasons. Honestly, if you can't find your voice on issues around that have a huge impact on the world, what are you going to talk about? 
Um, and so I think it is imperative. I think the second reason is that when you look beyond your direct operations, you can't solve it yourself. If I look on carbon, 80% of our, the impact comes from either agriculture or deforestation. We don't own farms on the whole, and we don't own forests. And so we have to work in partnership. And so by raising, uh, raising, uh, uh, raising topics, by raising issues, we, we can try, one, to push others to act. Because it's not much good also if just Panama acts, nobody else does. Uh, and and we need partners. To, we need partners. Many of the many of the companies we work face the same challenges we do. So it was it was about that. And then the third thing that was really core cool to it was um, consumers and associates, and uh, you know employee. We call our employees associates. Um, consumers, our associates, and, and people we would like to work for us, or people we would like to want to work for us, really care about what a company stands for. And that's changed. My you know my my children who are in their early twenties asked very different questions about companies than most of my contemporaries did 30 years earlier. Uh, and so we, we knew that it was, it was important and that it was important that we took a stand and it was important that Mars and our, and our brand reflected what we were doing around sustainability. And, and I'm curious how much of that, obviously that was trends that were happening in culture with millennials and Gen Z, transparency. How much of that was coming from the family? I mean, the family had always been had always been concerned about these issues, and uh, and you know the family are not immune to the same trends that that, that happened. You know, with uh, you know the, you know the, to to many in, to many intensive purposes, they're they're just like any people of their age. You know, you've got that you've got you know, you, um, and you know they are you know you've got Generation Four who are you know predominantly on the board now, and you know deeply concerned about the environment. You know, that they're sim- they have those kind of similar views. So so. So I think it was not, you know, the idea, and and they they've always had a very very strong belief that that they want Mars to make a positive difference to the world. They want to be really proud of their business. I think what the switch has been, there have been two switches. The first switch has been recognizing that in order to do that, we also need to talk about it. So we were a company that actually done quite a lot of good things for a long time. Um, but we, we we tended to say, you know what, let's not the, make the company famous; we want our brands to be famous. Um, and so, the, so there was a switch. There was a switch about uh, saying, look, actually, we recognise that we externally need to talk about these things. So that was partly behind it. Behind it. And I think the second thing is that that they they wanted very clearly to really define a set of shareholder objectives for the company that were broader than just financial performance. And that's really where the Mars Compass came in, where they actually set out, you know, you know, very broad objectives for the company, for the company, of which sustainability generation is, is a core part of it. Thanks for bridging to the compass, because I'd love to read a quote from your CEO, Grant Reed. A sailing ship with a clear destination in mind can only plot a course, successfully navigate the wind and the currents and avoid the rocks if it has a trusted captain a great crew, and a compass. A business is no different. Our aim with the Mars compass is to steer us towards creating value for society, the planet, and for Mars. A compass or any business model that orients only toward financial performance is neither sustainable nor desirable. I think that's a wonderful statement, and and I know that Grant has uh, 
mentioned that in his videos that you have on the website. I'm sure he's done it at um, various interviews and such. You know, how has that brought the compass to, to you know, it humanizes the compass. And, ha- and has that really helped with the advancement of this next, these next actions? Yeah, I mean, actually, interestingly, we, we, we've not talked about the compass hugely externally. We've only really talked, we only started to talk about it externally. Um, it was the product of a couple of years of work where really generation four of the family to, to, together with some, some of the members of the management team really worked to really try to, they'd always knew that Mars stood for more. How do you truly codify that into a set of objectives? And so we came up with this model really around four quadrants, as it was called at the time. Um, one was a financial performance, but not looking at the short term, looking at how you do over the medium to long term. So three-year, 10-year financial performance. Quality of growth, recognizing that financial performance is backward looking. So you want to have some metrics that are actually a little bit more forward looking. Are you well positioned for the future rather than did you have a good last 10 years? Positive societal impact. I mean, are, you know, are, is your business having a positive impact upon the world? Um, and, um, and that we, we primarily th- measure through the sustainable generation. Uh, plan. And then the final quadrant was really, are you a trusted partner with society? And we, and we chose to really look at that through, you know, what's our reputation? What's, what are the trust levels that we have of associates? And at the very center of this was the, was the, was, was, was the purpose. And so it really was a really clear codification, uh, of, um, what, what the shareholders expected from the board and from the management team in terms of running the business. And this is incredibly important because every year the Mars family puts back over 90% of the money that the company makes into the business. Mm. Uh, and so that's the choice that they've taken. They've taken that choice as opposed to say, let's take the money out of the business and start a foundation. And, and so there is a real need for them that the business is actually positively contributing to the world, that they can be proud of the business and know that they don't just own a, a successful business. They own a business that is making a positive impact um, throughout. And so the compass has been incredibly important, you know, and it, um, you know, we've used it, we've used it throughout COVID. Uh, we report back on it to the family. Um, uh, we use it to frame our board discussions. Um, and of course, there are tensions. You know, there are there are tensions between, you know, uh, the tensions between, you know, performing well today and being well positioned for the future. Um, there are there are tensions between what do you, what do you invest in a sustainability program that might pay you, you know, that might have an economic return, but might only have an economic return in a decade or so. You know, there, there, there can be there can be a, a, a reputational impact actually about talking about some of the challenges that there are in the standard. So there's there's tensions between all elements of the compass, but it's a it's incredibly important tool. The family are very very vested in it. You know, it's how the performance of the board and the management team are, are measured, and our top 300 leaders, are, you know, have got compensation tied against the, all aspects of the compass. So so it is important. I think it's. For us, I mean, many companies have very strong um, uh, programs on sustainability or on corporate responsibility or on things like that. Often they tend to be either, you know, chairman or CEO led. And that's super. But chairman and chairs and CEOs do change. What we, we, the advantage we have is actually this comes from the shareholders. This comes from the owners. And so it's going to, it's going to endure 
you know, beyond, you know, beyond the, the tenure of any any set of uh, leaders at Mars. And so I, I think it, it becomes even more powerful because of that. Very baked into the business. Yes. Very much of the oxygen in your in your bloodstream. So you've got the sustainable in a generation plan. You've got the compass. You've got the principles. A lot of, and, you know, took years to develop many of these. So let's just turn to what's current news. Mm-hmm. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And the anger and the pain and the rage that has been just, you know, ignited across our country and are now around the world. How have you used these, the compass and your other guides to make decisions? And I'm also very specifically would like to know about Uncle Ben's as a brand and what's also going to happen to that. Yeah, okay. I mean, let's let's take that perhaps in two parts. I mean, look, there can be no room for uh, racial discrimination in a healthy society. There can be no room for racial discrimination in any company or any community. And but we recognise that that exists. Uh, uh, and to change it needs uh, it needs collective action uh, at every level. It's heartbreaking what is happening. Uh, what's even more heartbreaking is that. What is news to many people is just an everyday reality to 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 you know to Black Americans, particularly if we're taking from a from a from a U.S. standpoint. Although it, it would be the same if one went to France or went to Germany or one went to the UK, you know, it, it, you know what becomes news is someone else's is reality. You have to be very. I think at times like this, particularly when you're thinking about uh, your your company, there there are times when say talk can be incredibly cheap. Um, and it's easy to say something, but there are times also when it was, it's disproportionately important to actually say something because, you know, silence, uh, implies, you know, complicitness. Uh, and so that's generally the approach that, 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 that we, have, that we have taken. We've believed we've not done thing. We've not, we, we've, you know, we think we can do a lot through our brands. We think we can do a lot through, through us taking action. Uh, as a company and uh, as brands, as opposed to adverts, and so that's been very much our very much our approach. And so we have had actually quite a detailed, inclusive marketing program for some time. And we you know, you know we, we track how we're doing. Uh, we track, you know, what is the image we are creating of a wide range of groups of society. Well, and we we certainly track, you know, ethnic diversity and what and how are how are we portraying something? Because you know, you know, we, we, you know, people see us communicating to them all the time. On the you know uh, you know in through various media and you know, we have an ability to kind of role model you know what is the world we want tomorrow through how we talk to consumers um, through our brands. You specifically asked about Uncle Brand, Uncle Ben's. I mean, Uncle Ben's is a global brand. It's a brand you know, that we've had had since the 1940s, and um, it's a brand that that we we recognise that, that there are. You know that you know there are significant problems with with, with the brand in terms of yeah, it's you know it's its name and its packaging. You know it is you know, it is to an extent based on uh, a racial stereotype that is outdated and, and and is just is just not relevant in today's world. And so and so we made we made the call uh, and we we communicated that we that we needed we know that we need to make a change. Uh, we're going through that. We're 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 talking. We're talking to our associates. We're talking to communities. Um, we're talking to to organisations. You know, we you know the, the home of uh, the home of the brand in the US is the Mississippi Delta. Uh, you know, the town of Greenville, Mississippi. We're talking with the mayor, uh, and you know, we are moving quickly on this 
we will be taking action and 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 we will be be communicating it and uh, i think that's it's that's exactly that's exactly the right thing to do and and if you hadn't had gone through the purpose discovery the principles definition and the compass where do you think you would be trying to make this decision on uncle ben's without them well, to be fair, we've we've had the principles. You know, the principles are really of how Mars has done business. You know, really since since the 1930s, and they were codified in the 1980s. So, so we we've always, you know, we've always had that. We've always had those principles. I, I don't think, you know, I know it'd be easy to say, oh, because we've got the purpose and the compass, that you know, it makes us easier to make a decision on Uncle Ben's. I, I don't think it is. It's just. If you, when when you seriously look at it, and yeah, and you look at the world in which you're in, the image, and what that terminology means to some groups of people, and how it, how it makes them feel, you simply know you have to change. You simply know you have to change. Great. Well, thank you for that. I'd like to turn to a lighter topic, which is um, you're, you have a tremendous commitment to your pet care business. And it's not just the food or the, the vet clinics. I mean, you are doing things such as creating better cities for pets. And you're really having these ecosystem scalable ideas and then initiatives. Can you talk about how that happens in that division and um, perhaps one or two of your greatest successes regarding pets? Because I love animals. At the corporate level, we have a purpose of the world we want tomorrow. It starts at how we do business today. And then each of our segments um, um, has, has its own purpose. And the pet care segment has had a long established purpose, which is about creating a better world for pets. And really, Every aspect of, of what they do is about creating a better world for pets because and, and the benefit because pets make our lives better. I'm a pet owner. You're a pet owner. We know that pets uh, improve our lives. We know that pets help children uh, study at school, help people fit in in communities. We even know in prisons when people are adopting pets, they change people's behaviors. Uh, and so through this purpose, we can really look at everything that, that we want to do. And, and so... So we are really looking at what are what are the barriers that prevent people from having the life affirming experience of owning a pet, and what are the barriers that stop you know uh, you know dogs and cats and pets you know being adopted and uh, and being uh, you know being in shel- in shelters. So if you look at it, our, our both our campaign to end pet homelessness. Uh, together with our Better Cities for Pets campaign, they really work well. And Better Cities for Pets is about how do you make it easier for people to, for, 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 for pets to coexist in a city? Do you have, for example, is the standard rental contract or standard rental lease, does it assume that you shouldn't have a pet? You know, are, are you able to have um, pets at outdoor dining in, uh, in restaurants? You know, are there, is there green space on which you can walk? To? So we've, we've been working really with mayors started in the U.S. It started in Franklin, Tennessee. Um, but now it's really it, 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 it expanded globally. And we, you know, we think we can do a lot and actually. You know, pet-friendly cities are better cities to be. You know, they're more attractive. They're better. Get retail better. The, the house. You know, it's good for homeowners uh, having a more pet-friendly city. Uh, uh, so, you, so you see that when you look at ending pet homelessness, we think there's a lot we can do of our brands. Pedigree have done a lot. I mean, during COVID, for example, we did a dogs on Zoom, recognizing that people were not able to go into shelters to the same extent. Yet there was quite a big demand for 
people to have pets at home actually actually linking up and to allow people to to see dogs on zoom and adopt dogs over zoom of course with um you know sufficient um safeguards and and i know that a, a lot of the shelters were just uh cleaned out which is great i i just i just hope that people will be responsible when they have more of a returning to the new normal yeah i mean i think that yeah and i think it was great to see some adoption um you know, it wasn't all good. You know, we did see some pets being abandoned in parts of the world. Uh, we did see some places where people erroneously thought pets were a problem. I think the if you, if you look at it, you know, on, on a serious note, you know, um, you know, as people return to the office or, or you know, those who have been at home, you know, it's going to be, you have to think of, of the stress that the pet is going to face from having had, you know, con- uh, you know uh, having had people around them all the time. Um, so, and, you know, we'd also know that in, 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 a, in recessions and in economic downturns, we do know that, you know, there are some people who cannot afford that, um, uh, and they get returned to shelter. So we're doing what we can, uh, to help uh, on all of these things, including offering, you know, you know, reduced rate veterinary care and, you know, as part of a sort of a COVID, uh, COVID donation and, and certainly working with, um, working with shelters, but it's, uh, I don't think that, you know, Sadly, I, I don't think it's just, you know, it, it's a it, it's just a simple, clear path forward. You have so many great programs. They're so thoughtful. Um, we're unfortunately coming to the bottom of this interview, but I want to just ask you, Andy, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite program that, you know, that one of the brands does that you go, oh, it just really warms your heart? I mean, there are so many of them, but I want to know your favorite. Oh, that's a that's a good that's a good question, isn't it? I mean, look, I I think um, if I think about our brands, yeah, I think you, you look at three levels. You've got brands that have got purpose at the very core, and I think Pedigree and its Feed the Good campaign is at its you know you've got you've got a really purposeful brand there. Um, you've got brands that have real done real purposeful activations. They've done it consistently, built on strong foundations. So Skittles, you know, removing the rainbow to celebrate pride. You know, donating the rainbow for pride. I think that's, uh, and then just generally, I think all of our brands play and can play an incredibly important part in, in, in inclusive marketing to make sure about the image you're creating. Maltesers have just done some fantastic. Oh, the Maltesers, that, that, oh, the videos are a riot. They're really, they're really, they bring great smiles to your face. And really just breaking, breaking stereo, breaking stereotypes. So, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud of, you know, I'm proud of what our brands are doing. I'm proud of what Uncle Ben's will do. It would it'd be nicer if we'd made it earlier. But, uh, you know, so I think, uh, you know, I think our brands, uh, you know, have an incredibly powerful role to play and they can really, they can really shine a light on issues. They can really, and if it's built on firm fundamentals, you know, we, what we don't think is purpose is not a cause. You know, it's not a, it's not, you know, you know cause related marketing can be from, you know, you know, one week, one quarter to the next, you know, what, what's our topic of the month? Purpose has to be built on fundamentals. And so if brands are going to be active, it has to be built on really strong foundations and a long-term commitment um, uh, and, and a willingness and a willingness to, to stick the course with it, even when people disagree with you. We always like to end our conversations with three insights that you would like to share with your peers to either identify or activate their social purpose um, in their brand or in their organization. So you could probably do a hundred, but let's just just try and pick three here. Well, actually, I have four, but one of them I've already mentioned. Um, I mean, I think the first one it has to be core to you and your brand. 
And there is a fundamental difference between having a purpose and adopting a cause. I think the second thing is that purpose is only real if you treat it as a business priority with the same discipline as you would any aspect. The same is true of sustainability. Yeah, you have to treat it with the same discipline as you would a new product launch. Um, you need to do these things in partnership. You cannot cannot do them yourself. And you know, you, no, no one has a monopoly on good ideas. We've done work with Lion Share, uh, with the, you know, uh, with you know, with the Gina Davis Institute on on inclusive marketing. You know, we work with a whole bunch of partners on sustainability. So you have to do this in partnership. It has to be about creating a greater good, not just trying to position yourself to gain competitive advantage. And I think the final thing to remember is that that. You cannot please all of the people all of the time, and that whatever you do, you will be, you will uh, meet, uh, you know, meet critics and will meet detractors. And so, you can't make your decisions based on what a particular opinion poll is saying or what a particular consumer focus group um, says. You, you need to do what you believe is the right thing for you and your company. I'm curious, do you go to or do your brands go to focus groups to test purpose ideas? No, 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 we wouldn't go and say, do you think our purpose should be A or B? Um, We certainly would. We certainly would look at, you know, an activation. If we're doing an activation, you know, what is, you know, you know, what is the, you know, the two or the, the two or three ways you could do that. Uh, But but it would be no different to anything we're doing within the brand. Um, you know, we, we, you know, it's, it wouldn't be, uh, you know, because you, know, you cannot pick. It's impossible to choose a choose a purpose that everybody agrees on, because if everybody agrees on it, it's too melted. And, 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 you know, everyone doesn't agree on everything. You know, in, in, yeah. in every society, there are dissenting, there are dissenting voices. So I think it really needs to come from the heart and 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 and, and, and who you are. And if in doubt, don't do it. Particularly of your brands, you know, you know there is a real danger with people kind of issues marketing, and you know, and jumping on whatever bandwagon particularly appears, and you know that might go well for you, it might go badly, but but if it's not built on the fundamental truth in your company, if it's not built on what you're actually committing to, if it isn't real, then you know, then then it's just simply the wrong thing to do. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but I always like to give our guests the last option to add anything else you'd like in this conversation. Look, I, I mean, I think that we're in a crucial time for business. I think the, the, the business has woken up that it needs to that it needs to make a difference, that consumers care and that, in fact, consumers are looking for, you know, for corporate leadership. And so I, I think it really is incumbent upon all of us to bring our full selves to that. Uh, and to really, you know, re- really help those companies that, uh, that that want to make a difference to do so. And I think we have been living through the biggest test case ever of whether, uh, you know, mission statements and value statements and commitments are simply, you know, you know, words on a piece of paper or on a poster on a wall, or whether they they mean anything. And I think it, I think this is it, these times are really going to separate the sheep from the goats. And I, I I'm hopeful that whichever one is good, the sheep or the goats, that they win, um, <laughs> and that, that we really that, that that you know that we are we are living through a transformational change. I certainly think on issues of racial justice, we have passed a pivot point um, around the world, and I. I 
and that that things that, that things are changing uh, in a way that would people have, will have never expected. And I think um, so. With all the upset and uh, with all the the anger and all the, all the disappointment that, that I think we all have, I, I am incredibly optimistic about what is to come. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Um, This has been an extraordinary conversation, very candid. You know, the fact that you've won the Sabre Award and others, I totally understand why. You're very thoughtful. You're very genuine. And I know that Mars has an excellent captain helping to guide its uh, ship to help the company create a world, the world that we want tomorrow is the way that we do business today. And you're just an extraordinary leader in the company and in the purpose world. And I think we're all very, very fortunate to have you doing what you do. Thank you. So thank you so much. I always like to end with my question for our listeners. What is your purpose? Mm